Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. Welcome back. It's iHeartRadio, AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, 50-plus AMFM stations across the Fruited Plain. You're listening to the world-famous Chiki Chaguar Radio Broadcast. Talk America Live as well. But only on the weekends. <laughs> And uh, we've got a great new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. They are absolutely, absolutely amazing. This song is fantastic. The artist is Pierre Porter. Let's go down. Here's a sample of it on our big program. Maybe when you come and pee, yeah. Maybe why not for me, yeah. Maybe start off for me and go to that bed, free on set. Maybe when you come and pee, yeah. Maybe why not for me, yeah. Maybe start off for me, yeah. Buy his crap. Uh, Richard, how are you? It's James Lowe with KJAG Radio. How are you today? Good, James. Uh, how are you doing? Pretty good, actually. Welcome to the big program. We've got a uh, our second guest with us today here in our broadcast, the popular author, Richard D. Benedictris. And uh, he's got a great book, The Privileged Few, and he's uh, winning rave reviews throughout the U.S. And uh, he joins us from the Boston area. He's a civil engineer with major successes. Uh, the book has been hailed as a fact-based fiction novel, and uh, we'll, at, we'll have him explain that a little bit more. And uh, the book has been hailed as a story of the uh, class struggle between money, politics and heart first of all uh richard explain to us what uh a fact-based fiction novel is well in this case uh, the facts are the historical facts from probably the late 1950s up until kind of the present although the book itself ends in the year 2009 um i started it uh The characters started in 1959. I actually started writing it in 2009. But the facts of the, of the history during that period of time, we go from the Eisenhower years uh, through several presidents until Obama gets elected in 2009. And uh, the fiction is really the expression of four families uh, from four socioeconomic uh diverse backgrounds. One's a, a Hispanic uh, boy from Watts, and, uh, which is obviously part of Los Angeles. Another is a young woman whose dad is a mayor, a very conservative mayor in, in Michigan City. And uh, another one is a, is a boy from South Boston who kind of starts out 
uh, as my background, but I morph it into a, a, a fictional character after the first uh, chapter. And then there's a very wealthy young man whose father is the, the man behind the, the privileged few. The privileged few being uh, presented as uh, a group of people who meet on a monthly basis in Washington. I call them the Washington Action Group. And uh, they are heads and CEOs and heads of banks and oil companies and defense companies. And they meet to kind of pool their efforts and their money into making sure that the right people get elected and that the country is run in a certain way. So that's kind of the personification of the privileged few. Is, is, these aren't real people, but they represent real actions that happen over 50 years. We've got a great so guest. That's kind of what... Well, I'll tell you, Richard, it, it, it's an amazing book. We've got a, a great guest with us today. He is the author of The Privileged Few. He joins us here on Skype Audio to discuss this incredible, incredible book. Now, um, kind of talk, talk to us a little bit about the book itself. It has 619 pages, 131 chapters. Um, talk to us a little bit about the book and how your family helped you write the book and kind of with the book. Right. Well, actually, it's, uh, since I'm an engineer and I had a, a very uh, strong business, I, I wrote it over a little over a three-year period. Um, but it, it started out in kind of a realization that I had way back in 2009 that that um, it, we, the country is kind of heading in the same direction as major civilizations did: the Roman Empire, the China. Chinese dynasties, the Mayan nations and Aztec nations, where they were very, very lucrative uh, civilizations until the rich got so rich and the, the middle class virtually disappeared. And basically you had, uh, in, in those cases, you had military economies where, where the only jobs really were in the military. And uh, they all reached the demise over many years. But I noticed that we were heading in that direction by having the same kind of a situation with the very wealthy uh, drawing from the middle class. And, and in fact, I traced back to basically 1973 was the beginning of this uh, demise. And even though the book is called The Privileged Few, it, my working title was Critical Mass because I was looking at it as a situation where in many of these civilizations, People were basically uh, reduced in income and in viability and, and in their dreams to uh, to finally get desperate and, and rebel. And in many cases, the rebellions wound up in in not great situations like communism and Nazism and all that stuff. So I kind of looked at that and I said, Geez, you know, this seems to be following a pattern." And uh, I mean, this is not about Trump because it was written before Trump, but it just kind of fits into that whole, whole uh, modus operandi, so to speak. So that's kind of when I, why I started it. And doing research, as I said, 1973 seemed to be the point at which um, the, at that time I was calling it critical mass, uh, kind of began uh, with not only the Nixon situation, but the the price of oil went from like 38 cents a gallon to well over a dollar a gallon. It affected everything we do. It affected our, basically our economic viability. And it just so happens that 19, from 1973 until really now, uh, the middle class has had no real 
income increase. It's, uh, you know, the the uh, situation that everybody talks about, but nothing seems to be getting done, is, is the fact that we have inequality of income while the rich got very, very rich. And I'm not against the rich. That's part of the American dream. It's just how you get there. That's the problem. So that's what I wrote about. So each one of my characters had to deal with the uh, prospects of trying to achieve their American dream. And, of course, one of my characters is the heir apparent to great wealth, and his father happens to be the leader of the uh, of the manipulation of the economy. Uh, now, the, those are all fictional characters, but if everybody who's read it said, you know, hmm, they know people like that, they know people in the news like that. Um, so really, these, these four characters come together in the book, and uh, they interact and in various ways, even though one's in California, another in Michigan, another in Boston, another one in Connecticut. They they meet in, in different ways, and uh, and they work towards trying to correct the situation. So so that's kind of what happened. Now, I changed the name from Critical Mass to The Privileged Few after watching the movie Fair Game, uh, which was about the, the outing of Valerie Plain by Scott and Libby during the... Uh, Bush administration. Uh, at the end of that movie, uh, the husband basically was lecturing a college uh, classroom, and he he talked about the, the the things that I basically just talked about, and he said, you know, the the real danger was that we were going to become a country run governed by the privileged few, and as soon as I heard that. I went to my computer and changed critical mass <laughs> to privileged few. <laughs> so, yeah, it seemed to fit. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, my friend. It, 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 I didn't mean to step <laughs> on you. Just agreeing with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I, actually, um, the critical mass would have led me to a situation where there would have been a rebellion at the end of the book, and I wasn't sure that that was going to be my my end which I obviously won't talk about the end. But The Privileged Few seemed to be a little bit of title in that it was identifying the reasons for the problem rather than the end result of the problem. And um, so these six characters meet on a monthly basis, and they they have taken profits from their multi-corporations and multi-billion dollar corporations and put them overseas and into uh, the Grand Caymans, <coughs> Bermuda, and Switzerland, and then send them back to this country uh, to back certain political uh, agendas. Now, this this was all written in the book long before Romney admitted that that's what he was doing uh, with his money. Uh, but uh, Basically, a lot of the things that I wrote in there, and you know, I, I lived through all these years, a lot of things I wrote in there pretty much have happened or, or become news since then. Uh, the credit default swaps was in the movie The Big Shot. I, I had that in the book like three years before that movie came out as being the, the real means by which uh, the economy went down in 1989, 1990. Uh, it was 700 banks went under. And they took a lot of small businesses with them, including mine. I had my small business had over 200 engineers, but the two banks I was dealing with uh, basically 
went under and merged with other banks, and they just called notes on all their uh, all the small businesses. So we had to start all over again, which which I did, and you know became very successful again. So it was a good experience um, in, a, in a bad way, but the um, basically the the story is is really about life that people are living, uh, the reasons people people get frustrated, um, but they're being misled, unfortunately, and that continues, uh, being misled into thinking that at that time that it was these subprime mortgages and the people who took them, people who were offered, uh, you know, why pay, why pay rent when you, for $800 a month, you can, you can have a mortgage and have your own house. Well, that was all contrived because with basically the, the program behind that, which is portrayed in the big shot movie, is that um, banks and financial institutions were convincing people to take these bad mortgages. Many of them were on adjustable rates, so they had a rate that they could deal with. And the calculation was in seven to 10 years, they wouldn't be able to uh, pay their mortgages. But the banks and the financial institutions would be okay because they can foreclose. And in seven to 10 years, when you do the calculation, and I do a calculation between two characters in my book, shows that you're paying two-thirds to three-quarters of your mortgage and interest in that period of time. So when that period of time goes up and, and the number of people who have to give up their homes uh, have foreclosure on them, uh, the banks basically can sell their homes for 60 70% of what the original value was, and that makes up their profit. <clears throat> now, that was, uh, that was kind of an idea I put into the book, but it actually bore fruit with that movie. So it, it really did happen. It, it wasn't the subprime mortgages from the people who took the mortgages. It was the lenders. And the reason you had the crash is that that program became so popular. Uh, basically, so the uh, the credit default swaps were, were was the idea of um, a young woman who worked for uh, uh, a major financial institution who said, well, we could... If we can sell bad mortgages, you know, we could sell three or four hundred bad mortgages and put them in a, a basket of two thousand mortgages and put them together as a uh, as a package and sell them to investors, and that's what they did. The big problem was that wasn't regulated, so one bank did not know what another bank was doing. It became a very very popular thing. So when you bore through the whole program and you wind up uh, having the having the down Side happened, which is basically the defaults. There were so many banks throughout the country that had that. That once you have defaults running through your town, you're basically, uh, you know, destroying the value of all your homes. And even banks who weren't participating in that now had portfolios that weren't worth as much. So that was kind of what happened there. So that you know, even though there was a you know, there was a lot of talk about the poor people being the problem. No, it was it was a game, and, and it came out in that movie. So, so we go on and uh, we go through the Vietnam War. My characters, uh, several of them, participate in that, and and how that added to the conflicts, uh, not only in America but you know throughout throughout the world as far as the economy. So we're basically, the, the book is really a, a book of history. That, and one of the ideas I had was there were a lot of people, especially young people, you know, high school, college age, who uh, 
who have no idea how we got here and don't don't understand why there is this inequality of, of income and but uh but I also was able to mix you know some romance in there a lot of adventure mystery we have the uh the young fellow who's the heir apparent to the fortune with a a brother who uh was his antagonist throughout the throughout the novel uh because he's not the heir apparent so that's kind of where, where we are. It was uh, kind of an adventurous thing to do. Uh, once I fell into it, um, it was it was a very easy write, and that's probably why it wound up with so many pages. But uh, it, you know, it was it was fun to do. Uh, when I handed out the manuscript to a bunch of people that that I knew were readers, uh, friends of mine, um, they all encouraged me to, to publish it. So it got, it got published in 2014, and. Uh, and it's self-published because I didn't want to go through uh, chasing publishing companies, and uh, <clears throat> it was it was actually right after I had a, an episode of cancer in 2013. Yes, and my my family encouraged me even more to to, to do this. So that's what we did. Well, so, uh, but but before we let you go, my friend, how do we find you online? Pick up your book, uh, get involved with you on social media, all that. Sure. Okay. Well, it's it's on. Uh, it's not in the bookstores as yet. We're working on that. Um, but it's uh, Amazon.com has it, and they have a nice preview and, and uh, seven really really nice five star reviews. Um, Barnes and Noble have, have it on their site. Uh, it's, it's on a number of, uh, of book sites. And uh, as I said, it's the Privilege View. There is another book called The Privilege View that came out after. And uh, it's on a totally different subject, so it's good to put my name, uh, Richard D. Benedictus, uh, in the uh, in the search uh, engine situation, and, and it'll pop up. But it's uh, as I said, it's it was fun to do, and uh, and it came out really well. So I'm kind of proud of that. Well, I appreciate you making time for us today, Richard. We definitely will be uh, talking with you further. Um, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day, my friend. Good luck with the book. Okay, and thank you for calling. Definitely. Thank, thank you, you, my friend. There he goes. We are going to take a time out and come back with more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.